if you got an email from me this week, it would have read something like this. Please come to class this Sunday. All of the lessons should help you in life. Let's invest one hour of time to see how it might be blessed. Maybe you will find exactly what you need to help you through your week. Some of you should find great encouragement as well as challenge from the lesson. A good bit of time has been spent getting class ready. Really, all we need is you. Everyone should come and soak up what the Word has to say. Get up and get ready this Sunday. Once you get to class, you will be happy. Once you get to class, I will unravel this coded message. Do you think you can figure it out before then? Did anybody get it other than Janet Seifert? Okay. Well, that's because there was a typo in it. <laughs> but I fixed the typo up on the screen now. Okay, there was an autocorrect. What you want are the capital letters. Get rid of all the rest of it and keep the capitals and then just put them in order. Psalms are good. Those are all of the capital letters that were in the message, except there was an autocorrect on the third Sunday. So it said, technically... Psalms are gesud. Um, Sorry about that, but uh, Psalms are good. Let me tell you why Psalms are good. I don't care where you are in your life. I don't care what day it is in your life. I don't care what you have going on in your life. I don't care if you're on top of the world or in the bottom of the mud pit. I don't care if people are being kind to you or people are being harsh to you. I don't care if you're in a good mood. I don't care if you're in a bad mood. I don't care if you believe in God. I don't care if it's one of those days where you're wondering if he's even there. Whether your prayers are being answered or whether your prayers seem to be bouncing off the ceiling right back in your face. Wherever you are in your life, there are psalms for you. I believe it fervently. I'm almost 54 years old, and I have yet to have a day, a time, an event where there was not a psalm for me. So what I tried to do this week in the context Bible reading that you had is kind of put psalms into a zipper with Paul's life so that you can we can walk through events in his life and walk through psalms and just see how they seem together. And in a way, it's... It's neat because you see how there's a psalm for Paul's life. But my hope and encouragement is, is that it takes you into a place and it reminds me of a place where we will spend time in the psalms, letting them find their zip in our life so that our life becomes interwoven and, and, and fastened together with the psalms. So that's the core behind the context Bible this week. So with that, we had a couple of days of readings. We're on target with where the pulpit is. Uh, Pastor Avery was a smidgen ahead of us uh, uh, for where we are this week. But let's go anyway to where we are. If we are in Acts chapter 21, verse 17. Acts chapter 21. Here's what Luke has to write. Luke says, and and let's put this in context because some of you may not have been in church, may not know what's going on. Paul's finished his third missionary journey. He's hustled back to Jerusalem. He stopped at Caesarea. (laughs) Dale always likes the way I pronounce that word. He stops at Caesarea 
on the coast, and it is prophesied there that Paul's going to get in, that his life could be forfeit, that he's going to be in chains, he's going to be arrested, that bad things are happening. Paul says, and, and everybody's saying, don't go, don't go, don't go. And he says, no, 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 I'm on the team. Coach puts me in, I go. That's, that's my job, okay? So when we, Luke's with him, had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went with us to James, and all the elders were present. Now, this is James, the brother of Jesus. And it's an interesting contrast. If we go back a number of years before, when Paul goes in for the Jerusalem conference, Acts chapter 15, verse 6. Look at the difference here. The apostles and the elders gathered together to consider the matter. So in Acts chapter 15, when there's the big meeting of the church, you have the apostles and the elders. By the time you get to Acts 21, you don't have the apostles. It's James, the brother of Jesus, and the elders. Where are the apostles? Do the apostles just not regard Paul? Do the apostles think, eh, not worth showing up for? Are the apostles upset with Paul? Is Paul not uh, 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 in sync with the apostles? You can hear all of those views from scholars as they try to decide where Paul is. Um, But frankly, the best understanding comes from church history. There are multiple places within the historical writings of the church that say the apostles stayed in Jerusalem for 12 years. But after 12 years, they left to go evangelize because Jesus told them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations. And so we get this from church history, uh, from a number of different sources. One that I brought you this morning is from uh, uh, Clement of Alexandria, who's writing about 100 years later, a little over 100 years. And he writes, and and he's talking about what had happened and and what uh, the church had done. And in the process... He is speaking about uh, uh, something called Peter's preaching, which is a non-scriptural writing that contains some history of the church earlier. And he says uh, uh, in this, um, Peter says that the Lord said to his apostles, if any one of Israel then wishes to repent and by my name to believe in God, his sins shall be forgiven him after 12 years. And this is an old translation, but the after 12 years goes here, after 12 years go forth into the world that no one may say we have not heard. And it's not just found here, it's found in the writings of a fellow named Apollonius that's quoted by Eusebius in the 4th century, if you're really dying to know. Now, did Jesus actually say that? We don't know, because it's not in Scripture. But what we do know is there are good, solid traditions that teach the apostles stayed, for some reason, in Jerusalem for about 12 years. Now, we're able to date fairly well these events in the life of Paul that we're reading about. We're at about 54 A.D. at this point. So the apostles would be gone. We know Peter has already been at least to Corinth because we've read Paul's letter to the Corinthians where they talk about some are of Peter. Some are of Apollos. So we know that the apostles have gone out. The point is, they're not in Jerusalem, but the elders are. 
So Paul goes to James and all the elders, after greeting them, relates one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Now this is a neat place where also Luke would have gotten, I'm sure, some of the material that Luke has put into the book of Acts for those times where Luke was not with Paul because Paul's recounting the history of what happened. And when the the elders and, and James heard it, they glorified God. And they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands, and the Greek word there, myriads, actually means tens of thousands. There was a massive Jewish faith presence in Jesus Messiah. You see, brother, how many whoops, thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They're all zealous for the law, and they've been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. People have been spreading bad stuff about Paul and his teaching. That he's telling them not to circumcise their children, not to walk according to their customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you've come. So, here's what we recommend. We've got four men who are under a Nazarite vow. Under a vow. The Nazarite vow is to abstain from fruit of the vine, which means wine, means grape juice, means grapes, means raisins, and not to cut or shave for a period of time. The Nazarite vow, if it is not specified time-wise, we know from rabbinic writings, it was implied to be, or, or inferred, it's implied, we infer. It was implied to be 30 days. So there are four men who are under a vow. Take these men, purify yourself along with them, and pay their expenses so they can shave their heads. What that meant is, is you go and you purify yourself by the temple. You say, I've fulfilled the vow. You pay the expenses associated with the vow. And, and under the law, you are now uh, uh, have finished this. <clears throat> And the, the apostles, I mean, the disciples, the elders say, thus all will know there's nothing in what they've been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. Easiest way to put this rumor to rest is show it. But as for the Gentiles who've believed, don't worry, we've written them, everything's fine. So verse 26, Paul took the men. The next day he purified himself along with them. He went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. And he does this for uh, seven days almost completed. Whoops. Now, let's pause for a moment and find a psalm for the life of Paul. In fact, I gave you two. Psalm 65 and Psalm 66. Both wonderful psalms for a guy who's really excited to get to go into the temple, who's been received in wondrous fellowship by his brothers, who's going in to fulfill his vows to God and to praise the Lord by what he's doing. Psalm 65, a great psalm for Paul as he goes into the temple. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion. To you shall vows be performed. Fits very well with what Paul was about, yes? O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. 
When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. What a marvelous psalm for Paul. Paul understood the atonement of God for transgressions in Jesus Christ, perhaps as well as anybody on the planet. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Isn't this a marvelous psalm for Paul as he's walking along the way? By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest sea. Now here's Paul. And I mean, this psalm almost looks like it's written for this moment in his life. He's been to the ends of the earth to preach the salvation of God. He's been to the ends of the earth to show the righteousness of God, which is made manifest in Christ Jesus. This psalm is echoed in the language that it has, in the theology we have in Romans. That the righteousness of God has been made manifest. That people can see it. It's a righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. That God has made people righteous, not by requiring righteousness from the people, but by delivering righteousness to the people. That God is the hope of all the ends of the earth. That God, you see, by awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness. There's a pun there within the Hebrew. There's a pun there in the English. God's not only righteous in the way He answers, but He answers us by giving us righteousness. He's the God of our salvation. He's the one who by His strength established the mountains, being girded with might. This is Him. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You do all of these marvelous things. Look at Psalm 66, the very next psalm. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Give to Him glorious praise. Say, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power, your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in His deeds towards the children of men. Recites history of what God had done. And then goes into verse 13. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered. My mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will do these things. Now, aside from the fact that this is always an interesting psalm to read, because I always get interested in deal-making with the Lord. God... You do this for me, and I'll do that for you. i got to tell you, that sort of runs contrary to my nature. I mean, this idea of God, <clears throat> if you will rescue me, then I will serve you. Okay, but if you don't rescue me, the implication is, well, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. 
I mean, it, it's not, God's not quite in that negotiation wagon. But here's my suggestion to you. This is still a God who calls upon his people to fulfill their vows to him. There still is a time and a place for a celebration, if you will, of discipline. There is a time and place that says, Lord, I'm going to fast and take this time that I would normally spend eating in prayer and dedication to you. Not because it's a deal so that God will do something for us. But in a recognition that there is a God and that we want to come humbly before him and and show discipline in our lives. And show a respect and show an awe and show a worship. And when you make a vow to God, it's not just a vow so that God would do something for you. It's not a tit for tat. It's not a this for that. It is absolutely just something that says, Lord, this is what I am giving to you. Not because it's worth anything, but because it's important to me to give. God makes it clear in the Psalms. He's got another Psalm. says, I don't really need anything you've got. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. Do you really think I need you to kill one and burn it? I made them. If I want a cow, I'll make a cow. So it's an interesting concept. But Paul's got it and Paul's going in. And don't you see, Paul's going to fulfill these vows. Not because God needs Paul to do it and Paul's cut a deal. But because Paul recognizes It's holiness at that moment for him. It's what Paul needs to be doing. So Paul can do this and he can go and and he's got a chance to go before God in holiness and obedience. And then if we go back to the Acts story, it doesn't turn out real wonderfully well for Paul. So the seven days are almost completed. The Jews from Asia, they see him in the temple. They stir up the whole crowd. They lay hands on him. They cry out, hey, all you Jews, help, come here, everybody. This is the guy. This is the guy who's been teaching everyone against the Lord and against the law and against the temple and against the Jewish leadership structure. This is the guy. Come on, let's get him. Let's purify this place and our people. Moreover, he, this is them still yelling, he he not only has taught everybody this stuff, he brought Greeks into the temple. He defied the holy place. Now I put into the handouts a picture of an architect, an archaeological find that's in, uh, I think, Istanbul's museum. And it's actually written out in Greek. And I gave you the Greek and the English translation. But it was well known. It's written up historically outside of simply the Bible that there were these postings that said you come into the inner courts if you're not a Jew and your life is forfeit. Even if you're a Roman, your life is forfeit. So this is serious stuff. We put into the reading also Ezekiel 44 where Ezekiel says, don't let something unholy come into the presence of the Lord. You just don't do it. So they're threatening, I mean, they're they're accusing Paul of, of pretty bad deeds here. They'd seen a, uh, an Ephesian Gentile named Trophimus with Paul in the city. And so they just suspected Paul had brought him into the temple. So the 
All the city was stirred up. The people ran together. They seized Paul. They dragged him out of the temple. They shut the gates. They were seeking to kill him. And word comes to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. It was a riot. And so the tribune gets called out with his soldiers to quell the riot. He takes his soldiers. He takes his centurions. They run down to them. When they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The tribune comes up and arrests Paul, orders him to be bound with two chains, inquires who he was and what he'd done. Now, Paul has just shown up to fulfill his vows. Those psalms of rejoicing are probably not first and foremost in his head at this point in time. But there's a psalm for every moment in life. So we'll go to Psalm 28. Psalm 28. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, now is not the time to quit hearing. Don't be deaf, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. That's an expression about dying. The vo- hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. Oh, they're dragging me away. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Now, there are some tough psalms where you sit there and think, well, that's not very Christian. That's not very turn the other cheek. Smite them. Destroy them. Particularly that one over there. He spit on me. I do not like him. Tear him down. The Psalms are very real. They're expressing very real emotions. We find Paul was not perfect. None of us are. Paul was not our Savior. Paul proclaimed our Savior. Don't ever get confused in looking at any biblical behavior and thinking everybody in the Bible is perfect. The story of the Bible is everybody in the Bible is not perfect except for Jesus Christ. They don't regard the works of the Lord. They don't regard the works of His hands. So He will tear them down and build them up no more. Now there is truth to this. Don't get me wrong. God will not sustain the wicked. The wicked will not last forever. He just doesn't always bring His books to final account at the end of every month. Blessed be the Lord. He's heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord's my strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts. I'm helped. My heart exults. With my song I give thanks to Him. The Lord's the strength of His people. The saving refuge of His anointed. Save your peoples. Bless your heritage. Be their shepherd. Carry them forever. It's a great psalm for Paul. So we go back to the story. So Paul is seized. He's bound with two chains. 
He inquired, and, and the tribune says, who are you and what have you done? Now, some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some were shouting another, and since the tribune could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he said, just bring him into the barracks. Let's do this a little quieter. And when he came to the steps, he was actually, Paul was carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. Excuse me. For the mob of people followed, crying, away with him. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? The tribune's kind of stunned. He says, you speak Greek? Aren't you the Egyptian who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Now, if you think that Paul and Luke and the Bible are goofy on their history, I will give you Josephus. Josephus is a Jewish historian who wrote a history of the Jews in about 95 A.D. So he's, Josephus is writing about the problems that were there in, in Jerusalem at the time between the uh, uh, Romans and the Jews. A still worse blow was dealt at the Jews by the Egyptian false prophet, pseudo-prophetes in the Greek, a charlatan who had gained for himself the reputation of a prophet. This man appeared in the country, collected a following of about 30,000 dupes, and led them by a circuitous route from the desert to the mount called the Mount of Olives. From there, he proposed to force an entrance into Jerusalem and after overpowering the Roman garrison to set himself up as a tyrant of the people employing those who poured in with him as his bodyguard. His attack was anticipated by Felix, who went to meet him with the Roman heavy infantry. We'll read about Felix in a few minutes. The whole population joining him in the defense, the outcome of the ensuing engagement, was the Egyptian escaped with a few of his followers. Most of his force were killed or taken prisoner. The remainder dispersed and stealthily escaped to their several homes. That's who the Roman tribune thought he was, the escaped Egyptian who got away. Now, it's interesting because Josephus has 30,000 dupes. When we read from here, aren't you the Egyptian who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000? Dupes. 4,000? 30,000. You think, is it the same story? You sure it is. Everybody knows Roman numerals, right? One, two, three, four, five, six. Whoops, right? You don't know your Greek numerals, though, do you? Okay, so let's say you want to write 4,000 in the Greek with Greek numerals, all right? 4,000, you do a little hash mark like that. That's going to get us to the thousands. Then you do a delta, capital delta, capital D. So that's 40,000. I mean, 4,000. Now, 30,000, which is what Josephus put in his, Josephus just had a little typo problem. He misread it because the only difference is it's a capital lambda, which they would write like this. 
See? And if you're writing those things and your pen's not a good, I'm using the Pilot G2 07. But if you don't have a really good one and you got too much of a little flat top gel thing happening, that real have 4,000 real easy turns into 30,000. So, uh, Josephus, we're not throwing rocks at him. He was doing the best he could. Um, anyway, so that's what we've got. So Paul says, he says, I'm a Jew. I'm not this Egyptian guy. I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia. I'm a citizen of no obscure city. Please let me speak to the people. And when he'd given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motions with his hands to the people. Everybody hushes. And he speaks to them in Hebrew. Now, some think it's Aramaic, which is a Hebrew dialect. But more and more scholars are starting to realize he probably was speaking actually in... I'm sitting here scratching my poison ivy. That's just horrible. It's bad, y'all. Anyway... More and more scholars are recognizing that he's speaking in Hebrew, which is something very holy to the people. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And as he does this, he proceeds to, to speak to them. I've pulled out some psalms for you. Psalm 98, Psalm 108. What could Paul have been getting? Where was his encouragement? Where was his Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song. You know, I, I read these and, and I think these psalms and, and, and have been written and they're written poetically in such a way that they truly do minister to different people and God can use these to minister to your heart. You want to be careful not to draw too much theology from how God's personalizing the psalm to you. Because these aren't written to be your theological textbook. Though you can learn theology from the psalms, what they're really done is written to minister to you and I where we are. This is why Paul will tell the church at Ephesus to sing and admonish one another with psalms as well as with hymns and spiritual songs. Because these truly are written to minister to us. So Paul could be thinking, sing to the Lord a new song. And if I were Paul, and I were thinking about that, what newer song could there be than the song of Jesus Christ? Sing to the Lord a new song. He's done marvelous things. And this is what Paul's proclaiming to the people. Paul's telling the people that God's right hand, His holy arm, have worked Salvation for him. That the Lord has made known his salvation. The Lord has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. Paul says, I used to be just like you when he's giving his defense to the people in Hebrew. He says, you can check me out. Go ask the priests. I was persecuting this way. I saw this as wrong. I didn't understand this to be a new song of the Lord. But I was on my way to lock people up in Damascus. And when I'm on my way, Jesus descends and he confronts me. 
and it and it blinded me. I had to be led into Damascus because I couldn't see. But Jesus changed who I am because He delivered to me the righteousness of God. He delivered to me God's salvation. And I've taken it to the nations and I've tried to teach the nations that His righteousness has been revealed, that He has, that God has remembered His steadfast love. God has remembered His faithfulness to the house of Israel and all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of God. This is a tremendous new song we sing. And for us, Dr. Bob, yeah, there he is. Dr. Bob says, you know, at what point are we going to start calling the New Testament old? He says, it's been around for 2,000 years. And he makes a compelling point. We've got to remember, though, that it is still new. That it is still fresh. We run the danger of it becoming old hat. We run the danger of no longer focusing on it because we've grown past it. But it does us good to just stop and say, Behold, the the hand of God has reached out and saved me. The hand of God has reached out and saved you. The righteousness of God is there. It's revealed to the house of Israel, but it's revealed to the world. This is a new song. This is a fresh song. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth, break forth into joyous song and sing praises. The break forth, the break forth, that means you can't hold it in. It just explodes out of you. Explode into song. Don't let the joy of this moment in this life pass you by. Live in that joy, but live in it as an expression of joy to the God who saved you. To the God who brought this great thing to us. Let's make a joyful noise to the Lord. Let's sing praises to the Lord with the lyre. With the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn. Let's make a joyful noise before the King. Yahweh. The Lord. You know, I got to tell you. There are Sunday mornings. See, here's my ritual. I always try to get the lessons written by the end of Friday before I go to bed Friday night. I do editing Saturday morning. And then... I don't do the PowerPoint and I don't do the presentation until Sunday morning. But I'll get up early Sunday morning and I'll do it. Because it's the, the, the way I refresh the lesson in my mind. Because I read the lesson and I think, okay, how am I going to teach this? And so I'll get up and generally I try to get up around 5 on Sunday morning to try to get the PowerPoint done in time to get in the shower. But there are times where I'm just tired. I hadn't slept much during the week. I've been in trial. It's just wearing me out. And I'm thinking, you know, Lord, I love you. I wouldn't be teaching if I didn't love you. But man, I could miss that first hour. I could sleep an extra hour. I really could use it. In fact, I'd probably do a better job teaching if I had an extra hour's sleep. 
And there is occasions where I succumb to that. I'll readily confess. But there are also times where I just think, I need to be there. I want to sing to the Lord a new song. I want to get there before the singing starts. I want to sing every note of every song. Except one or two we sing that just drive me crazy. But we don't sing them that often. I want to sing every note of every song. I'm the nut. You don't want to stand around, sit around, because we'll have a soloist up there. And if I know the song, I'm singing with them. Because I want, that is just to express our joy to the Lord. I grew up in a non-instrumental church. I love to sing a cappella, four-part harmony. But I got to tell you, I love it when the trumpets and the lyre, which is an old guitar, when they break forth in melody as well, and people are using their skills and their talents, and the big music crescendo to the Lord, it, it, it's not... So, <laughs> It changes me when I proclaim the joys of my Father. When I proclaim the joys of the Lord, it changes who I am. And I think Paul is doing it in Acts chapter 21 and 22 when he's up there and he's proclaiming this. So he makes the big speech. Um, I've given you more Psalms you can look at. Psalm 108, Psalm 120, they all fit together well. But in the process, Paul's making this speech And it's working good until Paul gets to the part where he says, God said to him, go, for I'll send you to the Gentiles. Now, that didn't go well. See, those Jews had not been reading and dwelling in Psalm 98, that this is a song of salvation for all the nations. And so they get very frustrated when Paul says that. Up to this word, they listened to him, but then they raised their voices and said, kill this guy. He should not be allowed to live. He is breaking club rules. We have a secret handshake. We have a secret motto. And you're not supposed to be taking it outside the secret circle. They had taken God's religion. No. They had taken the faith that God had delivered and turned it into man's religion. Dangerous thing. They're shouting. They're throwing off their cloaks. They're flinging dust in the air. They're throwing dirt at him. They're picking up dirt clods and chunking them at Paul. The tribune orders Paul to be brought into the barracks saying he should be examined by flogging, which is a wretched thing, to find out why they were shouting. They had him stretched out. They would tie you between posts and stretch you out. And the, 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 the whip that they would use had pieces of glass and rock tied to the ends of it. And it would truly rake the flesh off of your bones. They stretched him out for the whips. Paul said to the centurion standing next to him, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who's a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Uh, The centurion hears this. He goes to the tribune and he says, uh, Did you know this guy's a Roman citizen? The tribune comes to Paul and says, Are you really? Paul says, yes. Tribune says, well, I am too. I I spent a lot of money for mine. Paul says, I didn't. 
I was born it. I put some Psalms with this. Psalm 40. Uh, we're down to the last minute. I forgot we end five minutes early. My mistake. Psalm 40. Let's do this quickly. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew up, drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. He set my feet upon a rock, made my steps secure, put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. There are psalms for every moment in life. We go back to the PowerPoint. Psalms for every moment. And that's my key takeaway. It's just one this time. But the key takeaway for me is I'm going to zip my life into the Psalms. And I've got a program for you. I've told you about it before. Go back to the Elmo, please, real fast. What's today? Today's October the 12th. Okay, so today's the 12th. There are 150 Psalms. So your reading program is to take the day of the week, read that Psalm, and then add 30 to it. Till you read five Psalms. So today you'd read Psalm 12, Psalm 42, Psalm 72, Psalm 102, and Psalm 132. And that's today. Five Psalms. It's going to take you 10 minutes, 15 minutes. You'll find a Psalm that fits you today. Tomorrow, you'll read Psalm 13, 43, 73, 103, 133. Every day, except the 29th of the month when you hit Psalm 119, that is so long, it's going to take you extra. But other than that, this is a marvelous program and a great way to read through the Psalms. You'll learn you have favorite days of the month. I love the 24th of every month. Psalm 24, 54, 84. Oh, Psalm 84. Oh, I could live in that Psalm. Psalm 114, Psalm 144. It's a marvelous day of the month. Zip your life into the Psalms. And let them become part of your life. That's my challenge to you and my challenge that remains to me. Can I pray over you, please? Lord, I pray your blessings upon all of us that we will sing a new song. That you will continue to grow in us in devotional ways. Not just in head knowledge, Lord. We want to grow in our in our thoughts about you and our understanding of you. But Lord, we want to grow in relationship to you. We want to see you in the way you interact in our lives and minister to us and nurture us and sustain us when we need sustenance and, and lift us up when we're down and, and, and give us thrills that point to you in the midst of life's joys. Lord, we are totally dependent upon you whether we realize it or not. Help us to realize it and to grow in it. That's my prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.